And to your point, I did not do that from a place of selling. I just did that because I was enjoying it. And even with the Facebook group that I did create for other people who do what I do, it's because I was like, okay, the Donsato community is not giving me this place to connect to that higher level. I'm just going to get all these people together. And it's also not just talking about Donsato. It's talking about business strategy. How are other people pricing themselves? How are other people collecting this information from their clients? How are other people handling these things? And so then creating that community, I'm going to interrupt myself because I want to say this. I follow Sarah Dan. She is a business coach and I really love her. And one of her big things lately has been like, create what you're craving. And I feel like that's what every step of my business has been. All the success I've had in my business has come from giving and creating what I'm craving. Those two things make all of it. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome back to Designing Growth. Kate Potter, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing so well. It's a great Wednesday. We had a really great chat about a week and a half ago, and you told me a little bit about your business, kind of how you got your start. I always love to start these episodes off because I think it's something really interesting for our audience to hear the story arcs of what leads somebody into entrepreneurship and the opportunities that they seize along the way. And then sometimes like the universe is telling you, you have no option but to do this thing. Will you share just a little bit about how you got your start doing what you do now? And then generally, like, what do you do yeah. now? So my path to entrepreneurship was super windy. I never had that thought in my mind of something that I would be doing. I have a degree in political science. I was going to go to law school, decided to wait a year to do that uh, after graduating because, you know, law school is very expensive. And I was like, all right, I'll do AmeriCorps VISTA, which is a volunteer program. It's kind of like domestic peace corps, but it's a shorter assignment. So moved to a brand new city, Indianapolis. That's where I live now. Did that assignment and started working there at that nonprofit. They offered me a full-time job. They offered to pay for a master's degree. So I went and got my master's in nonprofit management. And then I was like a month from graduating and I was like, I'm not busy enough. I'm going to start a photography business. I had no business starting a photography business. I've always been like spreadsheet girl. I was an operations manager in my day job and not like artsy necessarily. Because I was system spreadsheet girl, I also was like, okay, you know, I have three clients, nothing major, but I'm going to set up a system to automate things because I don't want to do this. I have to work and I just don't want to. I'm all about working smarter, not harder. So I found a system called Dubsado to run my photography business through. And eventually I just found myself kind of geeking out, nerding out, whatever it is about this system. And so I would just troll around the Dubsado Facebook group looking for other people to just like talk to about it. Like I wasn't selling anything. I was just like excited about the tool and wanted to connect with others who were too. So eventually I started getting direct messages asking me to help them set up their Dubsado. So then it became this side hustle on the side of my side hustle because like job photography and then now these little Dubsado setups. But eventually I was like, you know, I just am loving this other side of the business. And so I shut down the photography side of the business. I started doing these Dubsado setups exclusively. And now I do like all kinds of system setups, not just Dubsado. Um, and I run a Facebook group of other system strategists. So providing education there on how to do this well. So 
that explains a little bit about what I do now, but it's basically just like setting up systems and tools and resources that help small business owners work less, live more because entrepreneurship's no joke. So I've been full-time in my business for about a year and a half now. For anybody out there that is there or not yet or has kids or whatever, just everybody needs help. And these systems can basically be like another employee in your business. So that's what I do. That's how I got here. Kind of a windy path, but it all feels very right. Very synergistic. It's so funny. And I think it's something that actually kind of surprises me now in hindsight, how few people who are entrepreneurs set out to become entrepreneurs in the first place. Right. I've spoken with, I think, 50 different business owners now on this podcast. And I think it is maybe like two or three that actually set out to be entrepreneurs. And it's so funny. You always hear those stories of like, oh, you know, I was the kid selling baseball cards or I was offering XYZ service or had like lemonade stands growing up. Those are the stories that you so often hear about successful entrepreneurs. The reality is that is so few people that I've spoken with. And I think a lot of times people fall into entrepreneurship because they are just so immensely interested in something. As with your business, you started this photography business, but what you were really interested in was the systems and kind of operation side and how technology can support those things. So I think it's a really good reminder that the path to entrepreneurship isn't always like this straight line or this clear cut story that we've heard a million times before. Yeah, I agree completely. And I feel like so much of that is the idea that, you know, you can't have a stable income or, you know, that it's, you know, that it's like risky or whatever. And it's so funny because truthfully, I mean, I feel more secure in my business than in a nine to five where it's like one person's decision on like what's going to happen with my job and with my income and whatever. And, you know, having that power in my hands definitely feels even more secure. So it's just, yeah, no, I feel like it's you're not taught that. You're not taught like about entrepreneurship. You're not taught even what characteristics of a person would do well in an entrepreneurial role because not everyone, but, you know, not everybody wants that. I don't know. I Like I said, I think I just discovered that definitely my preferred way to, to live. And it's interesting that you talk about that idea of like what makes an entrepreneur. And I don't know if I think for me, it would actually be a part of what you said there. That idea of like, being in control of your destiny, because I totally agree with what you shared there as well, how now once you've gotten to a certain point, entrepreneurship honestly feels more secure because you're working for yourself. Your work determines what kind of lifestyle you can live, what kind of work-life balance you can have, what kind of income you can make. And I think for me, it's like that is a type of person that can become an entrepreneur. If you're somebody who wants to have control of those things, even though it's hard and even though it's scary, I think that you can be an entrepreneur, regardless of whether you are a type A personality, type B personality, or you were entrepreneurial growing up and have always had that mindset. I think that's like, for me, the defining characteristic. I think for me, it's just like being a little bit obsessed with something. I think that's what made me able to do. And it was just like being obsessed with this thing and recognizing the like power that it brings to just be something and to just want to pursue it, to just be like, I love this. 
I want to do this. So I do. Okay. I'm able to make those things happen because I'm obsessed with spreadsheets or, or whatever, you know, like, so I don't know. I think that's what made the difference for me was just being like, this is all I want to do. There's a really cool piece within your story that you had mentioned how you loved this technology and you sought out a community of other people who were using it as well. Why I think that's interesting is you had this very organic approach to building this business that a lot of times people try and reverse engineer yeah. to build a business where like they have an existing business and they're like, how do I get more clients? They're looking for you know groups and online communities. The reason why I bring this up is that there's a really good lesson in there for folks who are using that as a part of a strategy to find clients in that you didn't go in there and start selling things or selling your services. You were just connecting with people. You were offering valuable advice. You were giving your takes on things. You were participating and doing that all organically. And I think that that is a big mistake that people make when they go into some of these groups. If it doesn't result in them getting kicked out, it's like nobody's going to be interested in that. You need to develop personal connections before anything else and provide people value before you ever try and pitch anything. Because most of the time, if you're doing that sort of upfront work, you're going to get to this point where you don't even have to pitch anything. People are going to come to you. No, that's spot on. Everything I was doing in the Detsado community was just like, I wanted to be geeking out with people. I wanted to be exploring like new ways or what if we use this feature in that way. But what I found is everybody was just like, how do I do this? Like other people were just like not there. So I would go in and answer the question. It was like as close as I like could get to that. And you're right. Like, I mean, people started reaching out to me. And even now, you know, whenever I get inquiries, most of the time, it's just like, yeah, I looked up a couple of questions in Dubsado's group and you were on every single one, like giving an answer. And I really do just enjoy doing that. And to your point, I did not do that from a place of selling. I just did that because I was enjoying it. And even with the Facebook group that I did create that are for other people who do what I do, it's because like, I was like, okay, the Donsato community is not giving me this place to like connect to that higher level. I'm just going to get all these people together. And, and it's also not just talking about Donsato. It's talking about business strategy. How are other people pricing themselves? How are other people collecting this information from their clients? How are other people handling these things? And so then creating that community I'm going to interrupt myself because I want to say this. I follow Sarah Dan. She is a business coach and I really love her. And one of her big things lately has been like, create what you're craving. And I feel like that's what every step of my business has been. I feel like that Facebook group I made of other people who do what I do, I was creating what I was craving. I want a place to connect about this. And so I made it. And turns out that's what everyone else was craving too, the people who do what I do. I just say all that to say that like, it is very organic. And I, I feel like that, like, create what you're craving thing really factors in for me as well, because all the success I've had in my business has come from giving and creating what I'm craving. Like those two things make all of it. Create what you're craving. I love it. I think the reason why that advice is so powerful is there's this much deeper level of authenticity that happens when you create a product, when you create a service, when you create a community that's what you would have wanted. I mean, even with our company here at Motion.io and the software we've built, we all worked within creative businesses, web design, marketing, things like that. And we sought out to build the tool that we wish we would have had, which 
the tool that we've landed on is this client portal software that we had end up more or less hacking together internally at our previous companies. We're like, we're going to build it right. And we're going to make it for anyone to use because this is what we so badly needed. So I love, love that piece of advice. Follow Sarah Dan. She's worth it. We'll put that one in the show notes. <laughs> I would love to talk about the types of systems and the types of workflows automation that you are doing right now and that you are seeing the system strategists in your community set up. So I guess my ultimate question is, what are some of the big systems you see people focusing on right now? Because I think that within the last couple of years, for many businesses, they have like a base level of automation. Maybe they have like a basic CRM, basic funnel. What are the things that you are seeing businesses now build on top of that? When we talk about systems, that's such a big conversation because there are different types of systems for different needs. So like, you know, Dubsado and HoneyBook are two examples of a CRM. But I'm also seeing a lot of people, particularly people who do what I do, but I think it's kind of sprinkling down to other types of creative business owners as well. But things like Airtable or SmartSuite, these like database systems that are really more focused on like managing content and data. It's not so much about like communicating with your client. It's about like, here are all of my templates and here I can make a dashboard report of my leads, my conversion rates and all this stuff that like you're just not really getting from some of the CRM built in. There you also then get into conversations about like Zapier, which is a system that's going to connect your systems to like do more automation there. So I mean, that's a huge question and I could just list systems all day long. But I do think that we're in a moment there. There's like this impression that automation is impersonal. And so there's like a lot of resistance. But then entrepreneurs get to a certain spot in their business where something has to give, where it's like I've got too much going on in my business or in my life or whatever. I need something. And that's where they start like finding these tools. What tool they land on just depends on what their business is and how they work best and how they think best and that kind of thing. It's a great answer because I think it really highlights that these systems are really tailored to what a specific business's needs are. There are some businesses out there who may never have a need for something like Airtable that's going to pull detailed reports and display them for a client as you might with somebody doing SEO or digital advertising. But then there's other businesses where the things that Dubsado offers, workflows, submitting proposals, signing contracts, making payments, and kind of stitching that together to automate it along the journey is a lot more crucial for them. On that point that you had brought up about folks out there feeling like automation is impersonal. Could you give me an example of something that you could automate, but you see a lot of pushback? on? Oh, I can give so many. The first one that popped into my head was scheduling. People are very hesitant to send a link. And that is something I have to end up coaching clients so often because like Tetsado has a built-in scheduler, for example. And it's just like, listen, I know you feel like you're giving up control, but the reality is that you're actually going to be in more control. Your clients are only going to see the time that you say you want them to see. And even then, if you block something out on your calendar, they're not going to see that. So like, as long as you manage your calendar, which most people are doing anyway, especially if they're busy, there's not going to be this moment of a client trying to like push you 
to do a day or a time that like you didn't offer, that you don't particularly want to do. You know, oh, I was really reserving Sunday for myself. When you are the one behind the screen getting the question and someone says that, you're a lot more likely to be like, okay, I'll do it, even if you don't really want to. Your system is not going to do that. It's going to uphold those boundaries better. It's not going to be tired. It's not going to be mentally drained. It's just going to do its job. So if you're really intentional in that setup, it provides a better experience, not a worse one. It provides a more personal experience, not a more robotic one. And yeah, that is something that there is always a lot of coaching on. Like when I do process mapping sessions, it's a lot of like, all right, let's pause. Let's stop talking about the process. Instead, let's talk about your hesitations or your reservations around automation. The point around automation being less draining and a better experience on both sides, that's something we talk about a lot on this show. And one of the ways that I look at it is automation is a tool. It's a tool that allows you to take some of these repetitive tasks off your plate so you can then actually show up and be 100% there when it's time for a face-to-face meeting or a video call. So you're not running around doing all of these tasks and can totally focus on your client when it comes time to have those one-on-one interactions. Because if you are running around And so buried in your email that you're showing up to a meeting, you know, frazzled or a couple minutes late, that isn't good for anybody. The way that I look at it is like what provides the better client experience at the end of the day? And I'll always say using automation so you can show up and you have the mental bandwidth and capacity Mm -hmm. to be your best self is better for that personalized experience at the end of the day. Yes, you're spot on. It just gives you base to be able to not just show up 100% for your clients, but also to be creative, to think of new things. But gives you time to rest and resting gives you the ability to be creative and think of new things. I run a digital shop. It's mostly aimed at the other people who do what I do, but there are some other products there for just like a general system user. But I say all that just to say that like I wouldn't have time to create digital products to sell if I was so unwilling to use a system that I needed to manually schedule every meeting I have. I I would not be able to do that if I needed to be manually following up on, hey, is this questionnaire done or not? Or even just like, oh, I'm now getting off of a client call. Good thing I only have like five clicks of things to do. And then my client's going to get this really amazing email that I wrote once a year ago. Now I just don't even think about it because it's just already done. And, you know, I sat down and I did it right one today. So, yeah, you're just spot on. And I'm all about freeing up that mental space. And again, that's just been such a key piece of me being able to build my business. What are some of the other tools that you've come across recently that are either really appealing to you or you're seeing people use and how are they using them? Well, I do monthly system spotlights in my system strategist group. Uh, really excited to have motion.io on there. We're excited too. So that's a, a great portal system that I think everyone's going to be really excited about. There are also other things that are tools that build on top of some of these. I mean, even motion.io, you know, you can like put that on top of Dubsado. You're going to link those two. But there's other things like I just recently did a post about fill out, which is a form software that works directly with Airtable. So you can give people the option to like 
edit records that already exist, which is a whole thing because you can't do oh, that wow. with Airtable. So people can like fill out a form and it can edit an existing record rather than creating a new one or it can create a new one. I'm actually planning to go to them for almost everything form-wise. So for example, even I'm using a quiz software on my website, but I realized that fill out can function like a quiz. And so I'm like, I'm going to just move everything to one place because right now I've got a little bit in jot form and a, a little bit in the, the quiz system and a little bit in their table. And, you know, it's just kind of a little bit everywhere. And so I think that being able to have fill out on top of Airtable is going to be great. And then even these are all centered around Airtable, but they're where I've been working. Um, You can also find other platforms that are like front end portals for Airtable. So like softer, it might be softer. I don't know if it's .io or not, but softer. And so that, for example, gives people the ability to, again, interact with your Airtable data, but without being an Airtable user and Airtable charges. That's like a big deal. So I guess what I'm saying is I feel like where my focus has been lately is finding like complementary tools that kind of go with the things already in my tech stack, which then also takes a little bit of like time and intentionality to like remap. Like, okay, this is how everything has been. And now I need to like move everything. And what does that mean? And so, yeah, I that's kind of where that's where I've been lately. That's why I'm so deep on those is because I've really been playing around with those systems a lot. Fill out sounds really cool. I hadn't used that one before, but I can immediately see the draw of that because one of the big problems when you're dealing with any type of CRM or database that I've found updating records is something that you, I guess, previously before I learned about this, that I would only know how to do via Zapier because like you can map those fields if a form submission comes in. I have yet to hear of, until today, a form solution that you can use directly, it sounds like, to actually update a record, which that's really cool. Yeah, and they also integrate with Notion and SmartSuite and HubSpot. It also integrates with like Stripe. You can use it as payment. So, I mean, that opens up a whole world of possibilities with like, can this be my proposal? I, I don't know. Maybe. Lots of exciting possibilities there. Definitely worth Wow. <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah, I am definitely going to have to check that out right after this because we've been using a lot of like Airtable views and embedding them in motion.io, like custom tabs. Mm -hmm. But I can immediately think of like 10 things off the top of my head. Now that I want to try with, you know, fill out form to Airtable view that I have connected yep. and seeing how that can all work together. If you haven't guess this already i also nerd out on this stuff as well <laughs> love it <laughs> at motion.io and even before this at like a couple past companies i've always been kind of our marketing sales ops person mm -hmm. setting up the automations setting up the crm all of the systems within there mm -hmm. so stuff like this gets me like really excited <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like tingling <laughs> <laughs> so i'd love to circle back to talking about your specific business and ask you the question of what are you working on now? What's kind of your focus within your business? So I am in a create what you're craving mode right now. I didn't know if I was going to share this or not, but here we are. I'm going to do it. I've mentioned my workflow builder and that it's a spreadsheet. It does its job very well. But a lot of clients that I work with, because I sell my workflow builder, so a lot of other people's clients. They're not spreadsheet people. And a lot of times that doesn't really matter because they don't actually need to touch it. But still, you know, just kind of always thinking about that client. My point is I released that probably almost two years ago now. 
And it's feeling like it's time for that to be something new, for that to be something different, for that to maybe not be a spreadsheet, but to still have all of the wonderful capabilities that it has now. So that's been a big job that I've been kind of playing with. It took me nine months to build that spreadsheet and I'm, you know, maybe two months into this project and it's not just a Google sheet. So I have no idea when that'll be on the horizon, but that's been something I've been really excited about. Like that's where I find myself being like, this is what I want to go work on. So that's really more for my like strategist, right? Because I've also been trying to think about how I can scale a little bit more, like provide a little bit more help without me having to be directly in the process. That's difficult with what I do. To a certain extent, it's hard for me to imagine how I can help someone without having a one-on-one conversation with them. Even if Mm -hmm. I'm not doing the implementation, it's hard for me to be like, how would I translate what my brain does into something I don't actually have to be there for the client to benefit from? So I've just been kind of like marinating on that and like, what do I do? And I'm kind of toying around with the idea of launching a course. I've got a couple of ideas about how I would structure that because if I were able to release that and serve so many more business owners at such a more affordable level, because, you know, doing a system setup takes a lot of time. That's not a business expense that you just like wake up and you're like, I'm going to do this. You know, that's something you plan for. But something like this course, I think, could be so much more accessible and reach so many more people without, like I said, me having to be there in every single conversation. Some really cool stuff, though, on the horizon to be working on. It was interesting for me to hear kind of your thought process of, okay, for clients, business owners, how can I remove myself from that process a little bit more so you can scale? It's an immensely challenging thing to do, but there's a ton of opportunity and it's some of the most, in my opinion, exciting work that you can do. That was something that we saw with Brighter Vision, which was the web design agency we had right around the time I started. I was employee number three. We were doing like 30 websites a month and it was highly personalized one on one. We didn't even have an onboarding form, really. We just like, hey, sign up and then we'll talk with you. As we started to scale up, we needed to find ways to provide that same level of value while ensuring that it wasn't requiring 12, 14, 16 hours of one-on-one work with a client to get them the website that they needed. But I think in some ways that's similar to what you are doing now. How does a client get the maximum value of this, the value that I'm providing right now, but maybe with a little bit less of my direct involvement? Big idea. It's just got to make them happen. So hopefully they end up being cool. I love it. I love it. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your time, your expertise with us. I have just two final questions to wrap up the show today. First one's a business one. Second one, as is tradition on the show, is a fun one. For the business one, if people want to know more about you and the work that you're doing, where should they go to find you? KatePotter.com. Short and sweet. Nice and easy. And we will put that link in the show notes of this episode. Awesome. Second one a fun one that we'll end the episode on in the last year. And if you could give me one for each category, best thing you have read, watched and listened to. Oh my, I am so bad at these types of questions. (laughs) It's just going to be where I fumble. Let's see. Red. I have been on a huge Colleen Hoover kick. So she is an author. She writes mostly romance things and she has a million books. 
which I also appreciate because once I find an author, then I, you know, don't read anything else for a long time. So I really enjoyed her book, It Ends With Us. So that one's probably been my favorite. What's the next one? Watched? Watched. Barbie. Love it. Love it. Barbie has been the best thing I've watched. Pink is signature for me, which like that's not why, but still, just like I was very excited about Barbie and I absolutely loved it. I have wanted to see it now basically since it came out, but I was in the situation where, so we have a a seven month old and we're in like total trade-off mode right now. In the same week, my wife, some of her friends asked her to go see Barbie. Of course, my guy friends asked me to go see Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. So I ha- we had to do that classic trade-off. But it's going to be one of the first movies that I will watch once it comes out. I've heard it's awesome. I like that you still did Barbenheimer, just a little different than everyone else. And <laughs> I think I saw, I was on Prime or something. I think it's dropping. I think it's coming. Oh, really? Yeah, very soon if it's not already out. So I don't know if you have to pay for it still or not, though. Anyway, we're checking. I will. I mean, it's so often that there's a movie that we want to watch together. So even if it is, you know, you got to pay the $18, $20 or whatever, I'd probably consider it. Working for the date night. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's a pretty cheap date. So Yeah, exactly. Um, And then listen to this one. Super easy for me. Taylor Swift. Just like all the time. I also realized once I decided that was my answer that she could have been my watch as well because I saw her in concert. So, you know, just everything about her. She's been all these Taylor's version releases, all these Aries tours, reels and things. Everything's been great. Taylor Swift's a legend where I grew up because she had went to, I believe it was high school in Reading, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I grew up in central Pennsylvania out in the middle of nowhere. Reading was where I went to go like play ice hockey. Mm-hmm. And I remember when she was coming up, people would be like, yo, she's she's from Reading, man. She's from Reading. But you've walked the same halls as Taylor Swift. Not quite that. I didn't go to school there, but, but you could say that. There for ice hockey, like where you sold <laughs> yeah. the and like <laughs> and about the same age as me too wow so that's that, pretty cool which concert stop did you go to was that in indianapolis uh, no so she wasn't originally coming to indianapolis so i went okay. and saw her in cincinnati she did add indianapolis to a second leg of the u.s tour i did not get selected for tickets there um but i am going to go see her in lisbon portugal next year so i'm pretty excited about that too Oh my gosh. How did you snag tickets to that? My email marketer, Kay Allen Marketing, Kay Allen Carr, she got tickets and knew I was a Swifty and emailed me and was like, we're going we're gonna to make this a business trip. So we're going to do some business workshops. We're going to learn some lessons from Tay and everything's going to be great. That is amazing. Lisbon's been on my list for years. I was like right there and had lived in Spain for a couple months, but still have never been. So I don't know if you've been, but I've been fascinated. I've always wanted to go. That's so interesting you say that. So first of all, I spent eight weeks in Spain. I studied abroad there. Uh, Oh, amazing. Where at? All around, but most of the time with Salamanca. We spent two weeks traveling. So literally went basically everywhere except Barcelona, spent most of the time in Salamanca, but never hit Portugal. And actually Lisbon was not on my list or radar. And so then when that's where the tickets were, I like looked it up and I was like, this looks awesome. And I'm really glad that it ended up being a place not on my radar because like now I just get to go and see something that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. Like, I don't know that it ever would have like popped up for me. So it's going to be amazing and I can't wait. Wow. That will be an absolute blast. I'm sure you're going to have just so much fun, especially yeah, seeing Taylor Swift in another country. Like, wow. 
It's awesome. I can't wait. And I can't wait to see how and if she changes it. I'm sure she will, like for the international tour. And it's just going to be so good. And wow. my seats are going to be better there than they were in Cincinnati. So everything's looking up. Everything is perfect. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Again, Kate, for coming on, sharing your time, your expertise. This has been an awesome chat. We will put links to everything you mentioned in the show notes of this episode. And yeah, we'll be uh, talking again soon. Amazing. Thanks so much, Sam. Thanks for having me on. This is great. And I appreciate it. Absolutely. Until next time, everybody, this has been another great episode of Designing Growth. Have fun, good luck, and go crush it. See you next Thursday, everybody. Bye-bye.